We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back, uh, BuzzBeat listeners, to episode 12. Uh, I'm your host, Spencer Percy, and as always, along with me, co-host Richie Randall. Richie, how's it going, my friend? Doing pretty good. Uh, the Hornets are kind of depressing right now, but other than that, I can't complain. The Hornets are indeed depressing right now. I uh, actually play a day game today, a unique 5 o'clock uh, tip at home against the Clippers uh, in which seems like a must win but i think we could maybe call them all that uh exactly at this point if we're if we're that hell-bent on making the playoffs hey spencer that's that's a, yeah. that's a giveaway game so I'm, I'm going just to let you know oh are you yeah. so what's the why is that why is that game at five o'clock i still i have no really idea no clue yeah i figured maybe there was something that night in the arena or i, I don't know but that would be too short of a time to turn around the right the facility anyways yeah i don't know that, that was kind of odd to me but uh anyways we'll have fun um if you want to follow Richie, I'm sure he'll be tweeting from the uh, from the handle at the game today. Um, so here on the podcast, we're recording this on a Saturday morning. We're going to talk about uh, the recent Hornet struggles uh, that, I mean, I, I think we've said that at the beginning of every episode for a while now. Uh, Kimba is slumping now, the current direction of this team. And of course, we have to get in uh, our debate about Frank Kaminsky. I think Richie and I disagree on a very fundamental precept of, of Kaminsky's game. So stick around for that. Uh, circus never ends with Frank. Uh, all right, Richie. So let our listeners know where they can find us online uh, and listen to us on the go. Yeah, like always, you can find us over at QueenCityHoops.com for all of our content, whether that be written content with uh, previews and recaps or our podcast as well. We have a tab there, uh, and so if you're loving our podcast, also check out AlmightyBaller.com, where you can uh, find us, your only Charlotte Hornets A Team podcast as well as other podcasts dedicated to the remaining NBA teams. I think that Chris Axman's got all but two kind of wrapped up by now. Uh, So eventually, you know, they're going to have all 30 teams out there. So, and then lastly, search BuzzBeat through iTunes podcast app or the Stitchers app as well. So you can find us in a variety of places. 
Yes, so we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Make sure that you are checking out all the great stuff, as Richie said, over at almightyballer.com. Um, soon we will take over the NBA podcasting stratosphere, so make sure you're jumping on board now. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's let's jump right in here. Uh, the Houston loss, uh, I think the first place we can start, Richie, is a solid first half. Zeller's back in the lineup. Uh, the offense looks back to normal. Uh, you know, all is well in the universe again, and it all comes crashing down in the second half. But but let's start with the first half. You saw this entire game. Uh, I saw as much of it as I could, but I saw it on, on replay, and I kind of rushed it. Uh, so I'm going to kind of give the mic to you first here. Talk about the Hornets' performance, performance in the first <laughs> half uh, with Zeller back uh, in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, the first half was definitely the better of the two halves. When Zeller was in there, the offense – Looked like the old offense uh, when Zeller was healthy. Uh, a lot of, you know, screening action, a lot of action going towards the rim because of those screens. Uh, we set a uh, team high in assist for the season in the first quarter with 11 assists in total. Uh, Batum was racking up the assist. He had eight by halftime. And a lot of his assists are coming, and you can see this with Zeller back, on screen. So when, when Zeller's in there setting those screens, whether it's for Batum or someone off the ball, um, it opens up a lot, a lot uh, for Batum, and, and he'll find you. If you if you cut towards the basket, uh, whether you're MKG or, or, or Kemba, he will find you for that easy bucket. So, yeah, first half we came out strong. I thought that MKG played solid defense the whole game, but uh, you can definitely look at the uh, the box score and tell that, that Harden struggled in the first half. I think the team overall shot 10 of 23 in the first quarter, that Houston that is, and they only scored 23 points. So for an offense that is very high-powered, like the Rockets, uh, we did a very good job on them, especially in the first quarter, but just kind of overall in the first half. So that's kind of what I saw. MKG's defense was good, Batum was racking up the assists, and the offense looked like the offense of old with Zeller in there. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. I mean, that <clears throat> that is that was our starting five, really, at its best, um, I thought, in the first half. I mean, the team, as a total in that first half against Houston, shoots 51%. They assist on 17 of the 21 made field goals, which is an incredible rate. It, it was it really went through Batum in that first half, and you kind of pointed that out. I mean, Batum has eight assists in the first half. He scores seven points. Uh, it, you know, MKG's very active. Marvin's very active. Kind of felt like Kimba could just t- you know take it down a gear in that first half. Right. The offense humming so well. So. All right, so yeah, let's transition to the second half, which is a completely different story for the Hornets. Um, I mean, Richie, you know, you and I have talked about it before, but you know, Clifford preached, take care of the basketball, don't give up offensive rebounds, create more scoring opportunities uh, for yourself than your opponent, you know, and it's, you know, those two things, don't give up offensive rebounds, rebound the basketball, and don't turn the ball over. You know, everyone knows in the NBA, I mean, that the Hornets just don't beat themselves because they do those things very well. They did not do, you know, the turnover thing well uh, against Houston. And in the first half, they were good enough offensively to survive those 13 turnovers. But in the second half, they turned it over nine more times, and they're just not as good offensively. Right. Uh, 36% uh, from the floor, 16 to 44, uh, only make four triples uh, of 17 attempts. I mean, it was just – it was the Hornets team really we've seen here, I would say, for the past 10 games or so, just just really bad offensively. Uh, and, and you're just – you know, that's going to catch up to you with – especially 
against a team like the Rockets. Uh, so they come out in the second half and kind of do their thing. They uh, they almost 50% from the floor. They make nine triples. James Harden gets it going for 17 points, uh, six rebounds, four assists in the second half, uh, and, and it all comes crashing down around Charlotte. So, but it's the turnovers. I mean, I mean that 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 is the reason. Um, that the Hornets cannot, you know, cannot hold on to this game. Uh, and then on top of all this, Richie, Cody Zeller re-aggravates the thigh injury. I mean, it's just demoralizing what's what's going on with, with him right now and him not being able to stay in the lineup. Right. So the third quarter, uh, that's exactly when it happened, exactly when we needed him the most heading into the third quarter and the fourth. Uh, and our offense just changes. When he's when he's out there, you can tell the, the difference in, in how our offense is run. Uh, things open up a little bit. The spacing is created because of his screen setting. Uh, yes, it's most definitely demoralizing. And I know that tonight's game against the Clippers, he's he's probably going to be a game-time decision, questionable, whatever you want to call it. So um, cannot afford to lose him. We've seen the effects that it has taken when he's out of the lineup. And we saw it again last night against the Houston Rockets. For a team that you know that has little room for error, um, and we are turning the ball over six times in the third quarter. Uh, it's going to be tough to make that up, especially against the Houston Rockets. So, and especially when we don't have Zeller in there to kind of facilitate the offense. Yeah, and I don't know that there's an official word yet. I don't think there is, but it does not sound like he's going to play tonight. So, you know, the negative of that is obvious. The positive, or I don't know if you consider it positive or not, but we're going to see uh, we're going to see Kaminsky back there at center. I'm assuming so a little bit more of a sample size. To see Frank at the five, does it work? Um, is that his position? Uh, that debate uh, was hot and heavy, uh, especially when Zeller was previously out for, for the eight games. And we're going to have that debate later in the show, uh, Richie. But, I, you know, I understand the Zeller thing for just a second. I, if he can't stay consistently healthy, you know, and if this injury, which, you know, it's just a deep bruise that it just seems like a really nasty injury. You know, it's not like this long-term concern i don't think but it's just one of those lingering sticks around uh he can't get healthy you know he can't he can't get back to full strength if this continues for two more weeks you know or whatever it may be i mean it's it's time to start asking some tough questions and i think we're going to talk about this again later but i mean the hornets can't make the playoffs without without zeller in there correct would you agree with that i would agree and if if we somehow stumble into the playoffs of the eight seed without zeller uh it's going to be a sweep yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and why, is that you know is that worth it? I, I don't. I would say no. But again, I think we're going to talk about that a little, little later. Okay, Kimba. Uh, it, it's. I mean, we're at the point now, the five game mark. I would say where he's really just not been himself, and, and I'm I'm ready to start asking some questions and having this discussion. You know, is he is it fatigue? Which I, I tend to think that it is. I mean, it looks like it's fatigue. You know, you can you can tell when Kimba just looks a little bit, I don't want to say disinterested, but just kind of not engaged. And he hasn't looked nearly as engaged, um, especially with the basketball creating offense in the past five games, you know, as as the all-star Kimball looked, you know, earlier in the season. Uh, in the past, I mean, golly, the, the stats over the past five games, they're ugly. I mean, Kimba's averaging about the same amount of minutes that he has for the season, maybe about a minute less. He's scoring 15 and a half points. He's shooting uh, just shy of 30, 34% from the floor. He's shooting 32% from behind the arc. He's turning the ball over almost three times a game, 2.8 to be exact, uh, to 5.2 assists. Which is above his, his average. That's, that's too many turnovers. 
way too many turnovers. His rebounding is way down. He averages four a game on the season, only 2.8 here in these past five games. Everything is is way down. All his numbers are way down uh, here in these past five games. And we all know without him, especially when you're you know down another guy like Zeller, you know the Hornets don't have a very good chance of beating anybody in this league. So, you know, I don't know if it's uh, it's just kind of an outlier here. He's just kind of going through a slump, or I don't know if he's he's just kind of regressing to the to the mean here. Richie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on I mean, there's probably all different you know combinations kind of factoring in here with with Kimba's slump here in, in February. I think that he's definitely feeling the pressure to, to string some wins along uh, because early in the season we, we we leaned on him, but also I think you know Zeller was part of that too. So. Recently, with Zeller being injured, I feel like with us losing as well, like he's feeling the pressure, and I think fatigue can also play a factor. Obviously, we're we're you know later in the season, over halfway through, um, and, and like you said, he's playing about the same amount of minutes here in February, but it's probably getting to him as well. And I, I noticed a real difference when it comes to driving to the lane and, and trying to finish at the rim. He's not getting the calls that he's used to getting, and that's frustrating him even more. So I, I just think he's pressing. I mean, and the, the turnovers are leading to empty possessions, and he is shooting just 32% in the restricted area at the rim uh, for the month of February, uh, which is not good, not good. At the season, he's shooting 57% in that same area. So you can tell around the basket is where he's struggling a lot, and that's where he gets frustrated the most because, you know, he's a s- smaller body, uh, and when he doesn't get the calls, he kind of lets that affect both ends of the court and his defense uh, his defensive rating here in February uh, is is pretty low or pretty high, however you want to look at it, 108.8, which yeah. is uh, by a good margin uh, higher or lower than any of his defensive ratings uh, out of any month this season. So this is his first month in which he actually has a negative net rating as well, so a negative 10 net rating over the past uh, four games here in February. I know it's a small sample size, but we can definitely see the frustration picking up with Kimba. Sure, absolutely. And, and – <laughs> That restricted area stat is is scary. I mean, it seems like God, it's twenty five percent lower than what it is on the year. I mean, obviously, there's some part of that is that's an anomaly, right? But right. the other part of it is that teams have figured something out. I mean, there's a scout out on how to deal with Kimba going to the basket. Something that, and I I need to watch it more. But it it appears to me the teams have reverted back to guarding Kimba in pick and roll situations like they did in his early seasons, which was just kind of don't respect the outside shot. And, and I don't I don't want to say that's what they're planning to do, not respect the outside shot, but they're not willing to let Kimba beat that beat, you know, the hedge man or the second defender to the rim. Where Kimba gets that that second defender is, you know, that that action, that pick and roll action happens high on the basketball court. Kimba gets going downhill and he actually gets the hedge defender on his hip. So he, he gets him behind him and now Kim is really good at using his body to keep the defender off, extend the basketball, and lay it in. We've seen how good he's gotten at that. Now it looks like that hedge defender, they're just kind of sagging low, sagging under, um, making sure that Kimba does not go by uh, that second defender. And I think that I think we'll need to watch it more. So help me watch that, Richie, here today and, and, and next week. But it appears to me that teams are just really committed to not allowing Kimba to beat the second defender, get him on his hip and beat him to the rim because there's just no answer for him there. Um, I mean, I, it's kind of like that pick your poison defensive strategy. Right. You know, what What would we rather him do? Um, would we rather hedge high uh, and then risk him going by us? Because once Kimba gets to the hip of the hedge defender or he splits it, I mean, once he gets past that, he's too fast. There's no third defender that can get there in no. time. 
uh, and keep him away from the rim or really contest the shot. But, you know, I think you can live still. As much as Kimba has improved from behind the arc, I think you still have to live with that shot. And, and having his defender fight over the screen as much as you can, bother the shot. I, you see what I'm trying to say? I mean, I, I right. think it's just kind of pick your poison in teams that said, look, you're, you're not beating us to the, to the rim. So go ahead and chuck that shot if you want, but you're not getting to the rim. And that's especially working here when he's shooting the, the three ball, uh, you know, at the low 30s. So, yeah, that's going to that's gonna have a, a bigger effect if he's not making that three. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think the, the mental effect is that, you know, in that at that ball screen, at the level of the screen, he comes around it. And now instead of seeing that defender right in his face – he sees that guy kind of sagging low, and now his thought process is different, and he's second-guessing himself more, okay? And he's, he's taking that shot some of the times, but he's probably not pulling the trigger as confidently uh, as he was before because now he's getting a different look. Uh, and then the other thing is, is when he does try to drive it, he, he really is driving it into traffic now, and he's driving it into the chest of the second defender uh, instead of kind of getting that second defender on his hip or on his back. Um, and really just negotiating the basket um, by laying it in. So I think it's really a mentality thing. He's got to adjust now to how teams uh, have adjusted to defend him. And, you know, it's just an eye test thing. So I'm not telling you that, that this is exactly what's happening, but it appears to me that teams have been more conservative in guarding him and just taking away the basket and taking away the painted area. And I wonder if you can do that, especially with Zeller out, because Zeller does set the screen very well and create space for Kimba. Uh, let's say Kaminsky sets the screen, you can sag off of that screen too because Kaminsky's not making his three. So it also plays a part in who is setting the screen because, you know, Zeller's not stretching the floor, but you got to stay with him because he'll cut to the rim for an easy basket. No, you're exactly right. That's a great point. That's a great point. So, I mean, you, you know, it does matter on who's, uh, you know, who's setting that screen. I, you know, I think we've seen Kaminsky when he starts – as the five, he shoots the ball better. I, now, don't right. ask me, you know, why, why that is. I think why that is just because he's engaged in the offense, right? Yes. He is that screener. He knows the action is coming his way. And, and we've talked about this before, Richie. If he's not engaged in the offense, just get him off the floor because he floats. So he's engaged in the action, and he's a better player because of that. But, you know, I, I don't know. If I'm Coach Cliff, I, I, I don't just you – know, this is five games. Like, I, I don't just – keep kicking the rock down the road here with Kimba and, and hope that he gets better. I mean, I, I get him going by drawing up stuff for him immediately. I know we like to go to MKG, you know, to start games and start second halves to try to get him engaged offensively. But, you know, you, you got to get Kimba going now early in the games um, because because he, he's the guy who has to who has to score in, in massive amounts for the Hornets to have a chance. I mean, high ball screens, start the action high on the floor, start it early in the game. Don't wait until a moment where you, you absolutely need a basket, you know, to call plays like that. Got to get Kimba going early. Um, so we'll see if if Clifford can make that adjustment because this slump cannot continue. Um, but if it does continue, kind of like the Zeller conversation, Richie, I mean, I think what you said about Zeller is that the team can make maybe be the eight seed without him in the lineup potentially, but that's not the case with Kimba, right? Like if if he's if he continues to slump here and he comes crashing back down to earth, 
the Hornets are not going to make the playoffs, correct? No, no. I mean, currently they're sitting, I think, in the in the ninth seed, and you got the Heater on this crazy win streak are about to pass us. So yeah, with the way that Kimba's playing recently, I think that if this form continues, um, we'll we'll be on the outside looking in. So yeah, I I don't see us making the playoffs if, if Kimba continues these struggles and and they're finding ways to, to defend him a little bit better and his and his three point shooting is is continuing to dip. I don't see how it works, especially with our with our backup point guard situation. We don't have anyone that can come in and, and replace him. Or I mean, because really, that, I feel like that's the biggest gap between our starting point guard and our backup point guard out of any position. That's kind of where the biggest gap lies. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, that's a good segue into the next discussion here, which is, and there have been reports now that the Hornets are out there looking uh, for point guard help. Um, you know, what are they going to do at that position? Right now, you're, you're riding with Brian Roberts uh, as your backup point guard. And, you know, I, I think the Hornets are probably willing to to just kind of bite the bullet on that and, and you know, play with Roberts until Sessions uh, gets back. But they are out there looking for help at the backup point guard position right now, um, probably looking for somebody that can also, you know, not only run the second unit but play with Kimba. Uh, at the end of games, much like Mo Williams did, much like Jeremy Lin did. Um, Richie, do you think the Hornets are going to be a buyer or seller as the trade deadline is now only, golly, it's only 12 days away now. Yeah. Guys, this changes like every week with me. Every week, it just changes with me. Um, I, I mean, if I, if I were the GM, I would probably, let me put it this way, I wouldn't be a buyer. I don't know if I'd be a seller. I might stay as, as the way the roster is currently constructed and just kind of hold a little bit. But I don't know if I'd go out there and start trying to buy players just, just to push for a 7 or 8 seed. I just don't see that being beneficial. The way that our season is going, we're on a downward trend. I felt like if we were to make a trade, it, it should have been earlier, or, or a significant trade. It should have been earlier. Um, so by the time our, our schedule eases up, I think a little bit in late February and early March, we would have already made that decision on whether or not we should make a trade. So what I think is going to happen, I'm not sure. What I would prefer to happen is if we either turn into... I mean, maybe sellers or just kind of hold as we are right now. And I, I would not be opposed to looking long term down down the road and trading one of our established pieces, maybe for a draft pick and not necessarily like a replacement player, but someone of, of equal value or, or a little bit lower in value, maybe for a Batum. So maybe a Batum for a, a draft pick. Just throwing that out there. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I mean, I think that's in play. I mean, I think it's a conversation that you're going to see uh, on social media more and more, um, you know, as the days, the trade deadline come up. I, I mean, you know, I think there are guys out there the Hornets can get to help right now. I'm just not sure. Again, you know, there's more sellers than there are buyers, I think, at this deadline. So that, you know, that means that the price is going to be high. There's just the the market is not flooded with, with, buy, with buyers. So, you know, the price... Uh, is going to be it's going to be high if you if you want to improve and you know a guy like Lou Williams I know that's been floated um, I still think that cost you a first round pick I think so too you know yeah I took a look you know yesterday I mean I, as crazy as it seems Richie you know you look at a guy like Courtney Lee I mean he's got three more years on his contract after this at about twelve million a year which really isn't crazy um, if the Hornets are as helping as they appear to be on making the postseason then. You know, call the Knicks about Courtney Lee. I know you had a chance to resign him in the offseason and you failed to do it, but like if you're making trades for Miles Plumley and they take on four more years of which is by all intents and purposes gonna look like dead money on the back end of that contract unless right. you trade him. Right. Like if you're doing that kind of stuff, then 
then go get then go look at you know acquiring another contract that runs out to the you know to 1819 or 1920 which is when they're going to have to ask questions about Frank Kaminsky and he, he hits restrict, restricted free agency which is when they're going to have to re-sign Kimba Walker so like if, if this is if that's the window which it appears like the the front office is saying okay look we're going for it during this group of years okay Batum's on contract for the longest Marvin's through 20 uh Kimba's through 19 um MKGs through 20 so like there's your window so go get another long-term contract of a player that you think could potentially be in your starting lineup or at least a very important um you know contributor in some form for that time frame does that make sense and I think Courtney Lee is like one of the he's that kind of guy it's not a ridiculous contract I don't know it's just I don't I don't get the plan and I don't really know that there is one outside of we (laughs) Well, I, I mean, see, the Hornets, not the Hornets now, we're, we're really dating back. Charlotte basketball has done this before. Uh, you know, when they had Steven Jackson, they had Jared Wallace, they were kind of fake good. And I think that's kind of what we saw last, you know, last year. And, you know, they yes, they should have probably beat Miami in that series. And that was the opportunity uh, to really take a step forward. So you kind of trick yourself into believing that you're something and you know, I'm not so sure that this season isn't kind of like the dose of reality. This is probably more along the lines of what you actually are, especially when you're not willing to fight for guys like Jeremy Lin, Al Jefferson, and especially Courtney Lee. You know, I don't know. I, I'm rambling. I'm probably not making sense. Well, no, it's like, no, you are. You can't have it both ways, right? Like, you can't say, well, we can't afford to bring these guys back, but then at the same time, make these stupid middling trade moves. To stay relevant, you know what I mean. Like, if you're gonna go for it, then go for it. Then keep Courtney Lee, right? Like, right. keep this core that had so much success. Keep them together. But like, when you hit five games under 500, okay, and you're battling injuries, like, it's time to start asking some tough questions and stop making these stupid trades and rentals that did just keep you in the hunt for for the eight seed in the East. Like, that's not I, the direction to go. That's not the direction. It's to not go. the direction to go. I mean, I, I get it. You know, it, it's a lot of revenue to host even two playoff games. I get it. This this new Hornets brand is still in its infant stages. Um, you know, the rebranding of the Hornets, in, in other words. And I think it's been a success so far. But you got to put the books aside at some point. You got to get the CFO out of the conversation at some point. And we got to talk basketball. Right, we got it. We got to talk what the long term the plan is for the Hornets and what you know, what decisions are best for the long term plan of the Charlotte Hornets. And these these stupid meddling trade deadline moves, it's not the answer, Rich. Right. right? And tell me if you disagree. No, yeah, I mean it confuses us. Maybe I mean they're probably confused on what to do. That that trade for Plumlee is such a head scratcher because to me it signals that they want to win now. They they're trying to make a push for the playoffs, but if they're not going to make another trade. In the current situation that we're in, we, we, we have to be buyers. Like you were talking about, we, we got to go for it now. Now, I would not be in this position to begin with. I would not have gone for Plumlee. I would not have done that trade. Um, I don't mind him in our system, per se. I mean, I think that he fits our system. But, like, with the way his contract is, that's 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 a huge downside. And to me, that signals that we're trying to win now. So, to me, they better be buyers because you can't have it both ways. They're, like, going for it but not going for it, and it's kind of uh, hindering our our future too. So I don't know what they're going for. Are they going for the now or the future? And I think they're, they're confused as well. And they're confusing fans. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. And, and that is, 
that is really the reason I bring up the Courtney Lee idea is, you know, I think, yes, you made a mistake. The Hornets could have fit him in, and it, it would have been tough. They would have approached the tax, uh, but, but they, they could have stayed under. They could have gotten creative. It could have worked. They made a mistake there in not bringing him back, and, and he – I think he wanted to stay in Charlotte. Like the Jeremy Lin out Jefferson, like those are different. I, I think it was time to move on from Al. I think you want to, you know, it was just too crowded there. Like Zell is your guy's center. You want to see what Frank can do there, you know, and, and there's just where do you fit Al in? Jeremy Lin wanted to be a starter. That wasn't going to happen in Charlotte. So I get it with those two. Right. But like Courtney Lee, it was a mistake. I think the front office would admit to you that it was a mistake. But here's the good news is that if you pick up the phone and you call New York, I, I mean, well, we don't know what in the hell is going on in New York. <laughs> But I think that they are willing to have a conversation about it. Like, why Why wouldn't they? You know what I mean? Like, if you say, okay, Lamb, Sessions, that makes the, the money work, and then and you get a young piece in Lamb, and then, you know what? We'll throw in a first. Like, whatever. We, we screwed the Courtney Lee deal this summer. We're, we're going to pay a, an 18 for unprotected first-round pick, which will probably be, you know, what, a 15 to 20 pick? Like, whatever. Uh, in a draft we're not sure about yet. Um, here, here's a pick. You know, I think that the Knicks would do that deal uh, if they're smart. And, you know, although it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Charlotte because you're like, wait, now you're just backtracking, you know, and and paying a first round pick for a mistake that you made. But again, to your point, Richie, like, but you're going for it anyway. So, like, why not? Like, you know, like if this is the direction we're going, then why not? Currently, that's that's the way it looks. I mean, so why? I mean, I would not be opposed to that trade because as it currently stands, that's the direction we're heading. Exactly. So and maybe we're the ones that are wrong and we don't get it. But from the, the signs that. The front office are sending us. It sure does seem that that's uh, that's kind of what's going on here. Now, reverting back to what you were talking about was you know send Batum out or, or send a Minsky out or maybe even MKG. I I do not think that's off the table either. And here's something that I will say is that going and getting Plumley, throwing you know his long term contract in, and now really adding a third center. You know if you consider Frank to be a center into the into the rotation here. Is that trade meant as a you know a backup center just to get a guy that helps the second unit in the long term, or is that that's actually going to be our second center you know long term with this core and, and we're getting ready to trade Frank Kaminsky? I, I'm just being a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't rule that out. And here's the other thing, and I'm really going to sound like a conspiracy theorist now. Um, you know, Frank Kaminsky gets this article in the Charlotte Observer last week and gets all this love. And I'm sitting here, maybe along with other people, I don't know, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so he fills in for Zeller. He has a few 20-point games, uh, is not efficient, like he never is, uh, from the floor, You know, turns the ball over at the same rate. I mean, I, I don't think like at Golden State and at Portland and – you know, even the other night, uh, what was the game the other night where he was like four of seventeen from Brooklyn, the floor? Maybe? But yeah, maybe Brooklyn, like twelve points, you know, ten rebounds and seven assists. Like Rick Bonnell giving him all this love. Like, wow, what a great game from Kaminsky. He went four of seventeen yes. from the floor. Like, what are we talking about? You know, so like, are 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 we trying to spin him up to be something that he's not because we're trying to deal him? You know what I mean? Like, that's the conspiracy theorist coming out of me right now. But I just I look at this. Frank Kaminsky praise and CBS, uh, CBSSports.com did like a look Frank Kaminsky coming out party this season. They did an article on him, and I'm just like, what? I, I don't see like I, if there's a coming out party, I wasn't invited, and I right. certainly don't see it on the court. Um, so I, I don't know. Something smells fishy to me, Richie, with Kaminsky's, and I'm not so sure that we're not seriously having conversations 
uh, with teams about him. No, I mean, I would agree. I uh, I don't know if I'm a conspiracy uh, theorist like you are, but yeah, I see that, that Plumlee is probably going to be our backup center. And I can see that Kaminsky is being thrown around in trade talks, and I would not be opposed to it. Uh, this coming out party that they're somehow talking about, I don't see it. You can't just base that off one or two games in a row. Uh, his season this year has been a... Uh, I don't know how to say it, but just it's been bad. It's been so much worse than last year's. He's been inconsistent. Uh, he lacks confidence. He can't score around the rim. So yeah, I, I would not be opposed to trading him. And I see that move for Plumlee as as being the one where, okay, he's going to be our backup center for the next three or four years unless we trade him. Yeah. So, and, and again, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but it's, I'm just giving you food for thought listeners. I, I just want you to kind of take a step back and maybe consider what might be going on here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, all the love that he's getting recently is not deserved and there might be another uh, factor at play here. Um, all right. So to answer my own question here at the beginning, I, I do think I say it tentatively because I'm not sure, but I do think the Hornets probably make a move before the trade deadline because I do think that from the top of uh, the basketball decision-making, which is Michael Jordan, I, I think he's saying get us into the playoffs. Um, and I think it's really less of a financial thing for him and more just he's just a competitor. He wants to right. win. He doesn't believe in the tanking stuff. Which I'm look, I, that's fine. I'm not against that. I'm not saying we need to tank. I'm just saying we need to ask some long term questions seriously, which we're not doing. But so yeah, I think that they do make a small trade. The, the names we've discussed around Williams, you know, Lou uh Lou Williams, um, you know, Will Barton and Wilson Chandler. I think all these guys are gonna be discussed uh by a lot of teams here at the deadline. Can the Hornets get into that mix? But I think it's if you're gonna make a move with any of those guys, I think it I think it requires a first round pick. Yeah. So that is the trick. Uh, are the Hornets willing to part with that piece? Uh, we will. We will see. Hey Spencer, I got a quick, quick Twitter question. Uh, it came in uh, yeah. from at Patrick Connor Seven. Uh, the question was: Could Cho's seat? We'll just touch upon this a little real quick. Can Cho's seat be a little warm if we don't make the playoffs? Oh yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten that that came in yesterday. You know, I, yes. I I don't know. I mean, my gut tells me yes, but. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting question. Yeah. Obviously, if if Cho's seat's going to be warm, he's going to be fired by MJ, which I think is funny because I feel like some of the uh, the the moves that we make, especially in the draft, uh, have been MJ's doing. So it's interesting. I don't I don't know what yeah. all goes on behind the scenes. I feel like Cho, just based off what I'm hearing, I think he does better with the tra- with the trades, uh, even if it's for like a quick fix. I might give him like an overall grade on the trade aspect, maybe like a B. Uh, but when it comes to drafting him, Hornets in general, I don't know if you can really give him anything above like a D. I mean, our drafting has been poor. Our talent evaluation at, at that level has, has not been good. And I, I tweeted this the other day, but it just feels like every pick that we make, all the selections that we make when it comes to the draft, it's always like against the grain. Like anytime we make the selection, all the people on you know these draft shows are like confused. Like they're like, oh, they had player X and Y on the board, but they went with player Z. So... I mean, not that they're always right, but it just seems like we're always trying to get too cute with this and and, and make these selections that just go against the grain all the time. So, yeah, I can see that Cho's seat becoming a little bit warm, but let's not act like MJ hasn't had a hand in some of these bad decisions. Oh, no, you're you're 100% right. I mean, MJ, more than anything, has had a hand in these bad decisions, especially when it comes to the drafting. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, okay, so I'm, I'm going to actually change my answer. I'm going to say no, though. I, I don't think so, and, and here's why. I just think as much confusion as there is, you know, revolving around the basketball decisions of this team, I do think there's enough stability, uh, and I think it starts with Coach Clifford within the Hornets' culture that, you know, I think everybody is on the same page. Uh, I don't get the sense that, you know, Coach Cliff is – frustrated with the decision making. I mean, I, I think that show Jordan and Cliff for the most part are on the same page. And I think that the, the water is, is steady, so to speak. So, you know, that being said, I think they all believe in each other. And I, I, I wouldn't say if the Hornets missed the playoff this year, that the shows on the hot seat. Um, I think that then we're kind of in holding mode with whether he'd be on the hot seat the following season, if they don't make the playoffs, because we got to see, you know, what do they do to improve the team in the off season? But I mean, if Cho lost his job because the Hornets missed the playoffs this season after the injuries they battled with Zeller, you know, and all the other things that have happened here, I would be, uh, I would be terrified again of the long-term plan of 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 the Hornets and and who's making the decisions and the ownership. I mean, it, it would kind of be like going back in time with the Bobcats. You know, it'd feel like that again. So. So no, I, I don't think he's on the hot seat. But uh, you know, a year from now, if we're having the same conversation, then I think maybe yes. Um, but I think that Joe's going to be given a chance to kind of ride it out with this core that that yeah. he's signed to these long-term deals. And really, again, that that takes you through the 19th season. I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere until then. Uh, that's when all the changes come, Richie. You know, like you, you got to re-sign Kimba. Then got to make a decision on on Frank. Got to make a decision on MKG. I uh, got to make a decision on Marvin Williams. Like that is when things, the rebuilding begins. You know what I mean, or, or at least the the reshifting of gears. Right. So. Interesting situation. I mean, because we don't know how much of a backseat MJ has um, has played a role in this, or if he's more heavy handed. We don't know. Correct. Correct. So we we wanted to talk about Frank Kaminsky a little bit, and thank you, by the way, Patrick, for the for the question, and thank you for listening. So we want to talk about Frank a little bit. Uh, we wanted to debate on whether or not he is a center. It sounds like you actually think he's a power forward. I think he's a center naturally. I want to hear, am I right with that, Richie? You think he's a power forward? Yeah. I also think he's a bad basketball player, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, all right, well, tell me why you think that Frank long-term is a power forward in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I guess it, 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 it might be an issue of semantics here. I don't know how you define a position. Uh, do you base it off how they play on offense or do you base it play off, you know, based on how they defend? So I, I've always done it where who they can defend. So if you have this player out in the court, can he defend a point guard? Can he defend a shooting guard? Three, four, five, whatever it may be. So offensively, yes. Kaminsky, I think that he could play a stretch five. He brings bigs away from the basket, creates the space uh, in the middle of the court, uh, just look at the Jazz game. He did that. He started off really hot. Uh, he was involved heavily in the offense, making some threes. Um, and then even when he stretches the bigs out to the to the basket, he does a pretty good job of, of driving to the basket in that open space as well. Uh, but however, I don't think he can guard fives. I don't really think any five with a semblance of a post game, he struggles. He definitely struggles. I think he benefited playing against the Jazz and, and the Nets to, a, to an extent because Gobert... Uh, he works, you know, in those high post areas with the with the dribble handoffs and the pick and rolls. He's not going to be someone that you feed to the ball down in the post. He's going to be receiving lobs on pick and rolls, and at least you got backside help on that. So I think he benefited in that. And then Brooke Lopez, he's his game is 
you know, being spent more and more, you know, away from the basket from the three-point land. And then I did notice when he actually did back down Frank, he, he moved him. He moved him, you know, a significant amount of feet. So any any big that has a semblance of a post game, I don't think Frank could guard. And it's it only works if he's out there with a with you know great team defenders around him, and especially someone at a four like maybe a Marvin uh, who can who can shift over and, and guard the five at times. So I mean, regardless, if if Frank can't produce offensively, uh, I guess it doesn't really matter what position he plays. But if he's not if he's not converting from deep, he's going to be ineffective whether that's at a four or a five. So you were talking about two three podcasts ago. If he's not involved in the offense. Uh, he's not going to do well, and I, I think that's true. So, like, I feel like if he was a starting, you know, stretch four, I think that him being in heavily involved in the offense, he would have produced similar numbers that he did against the Jazz and also against the Brooklyn Nets. That's just my thought. Yeah. Um, so, I, I agree and, and disagree to an extent here. Let's start on the defensive end. I mean, I here's what I would say about Frank is I think regardless of what position you play him defensively, you're going to be worse with him on the floor as a team. Um, I think with Frank, you hope that it's kind of like the Jalil Okafor uh, debate a little bit in terms of like, you know, it's an effort thing on the defensive end and Frank just doesn't, he doesn't give you enough effort on the defensive end to, to give you signs that, okay, he's going to improve. But that is something that you can teach, right? That is something that you can get out of a player. You can teach somebody to try harder. Um, but offensively, we see, you know, we see the potential. We see what he could be as a five. Um, offensively, you know, he is the wild card. He's the unicorn. You know, insert your, your, your action uh, word there with what he, what kind of pressure he puts on defenses. If he gets it going from behind the arc, uh, if, if you're putting him in situations where he's dribbling towards the rim, he's a great passer as a, as a center. Like he, there are not many Frank Kaminsky's in the league. You know, they can do all the things offensively that he can. So the thought is that you can teach him defense enough to make him, you know, barely below average to an average defender, rebounder, et cetera, et cetera. But then on the offensive end, he blossoms, and all of a sudden, his value in the offensive end overrides what you lose on the defensive end. And the reason, ultimately, I think he's the center over a power forward is that, and this is where I disagree with you, I, I think it's it's easier for Frank to be involved in more offensive plays as a center than it is a power forward. Because, you know, as the five, now you're putting him in more ball screens as the screener, as a five, he's getting more post touches. Uh, he's just touching the basketball more. I think, but do you think he's center. good in the post? Well, I don't think we've seen enough of it. No, I don't. I don't think he's good in the post yet. But you know, again, Frank's one of those guys. It, again, it's unique. Like when I say catching in the post for Frank, that could mean like the short corner. That could mean like the mid range area where he's facing up his defender, and now he's going to use his quickness to go by the bigger five. Right? You know what I mean? So. Don't take literally like post. Don't don't picture that in your mind. Picture more just touches. Offense going gotcha. through him, right? Like he needs to be the featured piece more. I think that's that's easier for him as the center than it is for the power forward. Why? Because he has more of a he has a matchup advantage when he's the offensive center versus when he's the offensive power forward. 
because a power four is going to be quicker, going to be, you know, going to be able to move with him, um, going to probably be strong enough to really, you know, body him up as well. Whereas a center, yes, he might have the, the physical advantage on Frank, but Frank's quicker and he's going to be able to get a shot off uh, and he's going to be able to go by that guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I understand your argument. I, I just there's not a Frank is not a guy who's ever going to be a good player by being a corner spacer, you know, or, you know, a guy who's right. who, who's he's not he's not a glue guy. Right. Like he needs to have offense run through him. He needs to get shots. He needs to get touches going to the basket with with offense included in those touches. Right now, he's not a connector. He's not a Marvin Williams, you know, no. and that. That's what power forwards are in this league. The Patrick Pattersons and the Marvin Williams, these are guys that are that are smart basketball players. They have high IQs, they're connectors, and then they can hit a big shot in the corner. You know, when when the when their defender has to come over and help and tag a, a guy rolling to the rim or stop a Kimba a dribble penetration. That's not Frank Minsky. He needs to get the ball in ISO situations. You know, go against that that bigger defender. Try to go by him, get to the rim when the second defender comes. Now he's a good enough passer where he can make that that extra pass and, and burn the defense. That's how I see him uh, eventually exercising his greatest value in this league. I just don't see that happening at the power forward position. So okay. that's that's kind of where we where we disagree there. But I guess we can both agree that if he's not producing from deep, he's not going to be effective at all, right? I mean, you can you can agree to that. Sorry, say it again. If he's not producing from behind the arc, he's not going to be an effective player. I mean, he's going to be a net negative, basically. Uh, yes, uh, I I pretty much agree with that. I mean, I again, I still think that if he's put into a situation where, you know, he is getting the ball in ISO situ- situations, you know, as the center going against opposing center, you know, he can create offense. I mean, I I do believe that. I think that. You know, his game is very spotty. His decision-making is spotty. But we've seen how good of a passer he is. Right. We've seen how skilled he is with the basketball in his hands, uh, even on the dribble. You know, he, he can score. And and so when you're a good passer and you're a good scorer, the IQ part and being able to read defenses, it will follow by just getting repetition at ISO situations and having offensive run, run through you, you know? So you know that that's the last that's the last experiment for Frank Kaminsky, and I, and I it's hard for me to believe there's not a team out there who says, let's 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 see, let's make him our starting center, and let's see right. what happens in a year or two of experimentation uh, of him being a serious focal point of an offense. I don't know who that team is, but that that's the last frontier for Frank Kaminsky's development. And, uh, if he doesn't get that chance, Richie, I don't think he makes it in the NBA, uh, personally. Right. Another, another one of those picks that went against the grain. You know what I mean? And, and that, what I just said is exactly why I think the Hornets are probably trying to trade him because they're like, you know, he just, he doesn't fit here. Uh, we've, we've kind of seen enough of this, uh, the sample size that he's given us. I don't think he's a great fit next to Steve Clifford, culture coach team personally and so that's it's really why i think they're trying to trade frank but that's good conversation there that's a good debate and i think that there's probably some truths to both the power forward and center uh fit for frank uh but healthy conversation there all right let's kind of transition to these next two home games the hornets have before they go on their west coast trip Richie, i want to throw it to you and it kind of feels like the hornets have to have both of these games is that fair right i mean I, I, you talked about it at the beginning i mean we can call them must wins, but I think 
any game at this point is a must win if we're, if we're trying to get to a respectable record. Uh, we don't have any room for error. So, like, we're, we're, we're sitting outside the playoffs. So, yes, we, we got to take these two wins. And to be honest with you, Spencer, to end on a positive note here in this last segment, I actually think that we could win both of these games. Uh, tonight, obviously, is going to be the more difficult one against the Clippers, but I would not be surprised. I mean, we would not be surprised if we win this game tonight. Um, we're playing the Clippers, who have played the last 10 games without Chris Paul, and they are 3-7 and seven without him. And guess who they got starting? Uh, you know, Doc's son, Austin Rivers, who I don't really view as a um, a point guard per se. I mean, he's not going to be the one that's dishing out these assists and, and uh, facilitating the offense. He's very uh, much an ISO-heavy type of player. Um, I never liked him at Duke. He's been good. He has been good since CP3 went out, though. I will give him that. Has he? I didn't know. Yes. He's, he's been better. I mean, you know, not excellent, but but certainly better. I think he's he's definitely improved this season. Um, but, yeah, didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, that's kind of where I'm ending it here. So I think that Kimba actually could kind of turn things around tonight against a, a player in Austin Rivers who's not known to, to kind of stop people uh, on the defensive end. So, yeah, I, I to ending on a positive note with this segment, I can see us winning the next two games. But what that means for our season, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think both of these games are <clears throat> certainly winnable. Um, you know, especially the Philadelphia game. Sounds like they might be out. Uh, Embiid might not play once again. He hasn't played in, I think, about seven straight games now. So um, they're a different team now, you know, without Embiid on the floor. But, yeah, I, I don't know if folks will get this pod. I don't know if we'll get this out before 5 p.m. tip tonight. But uh, So I want to limit how much we talk about the, the Clippers game. I think if Zeller doesn't play, I think watching uh, Frank go against DeAndre Jordan should be something. I'm not <laughs> sure what, but, but that should be interesting. Um, so, yeah, but, but the Clippers obviously are, are not the same team, you know, without Chris Paul. And um, who, who else are they down? Well, Blake's back now, right? Yeah, He's back, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's back. So, but there, I mean, obviously, if, if CP3 is not in there, the Clippers are just fundamentally uh, very, very different. He connects all the dots for them. So, uh, yeah, I think both games are winnable. Um, I think if the Hornets get both of them, they take some serious momentum on this West Coast trip. And all of a sudden, you say, all right, let's see what they're made of. Like, can they go on this West Coast trip? You know, can they go 500 on the West Coast trip? And, and I, there are some winnable games on this trip. I mean, they go to Sacramento. They go to the Detroit. Lakers. They go to Detroit. They go to the Clippers. I think they go to Denver. So it's not like, you know, they're not going to play the Oklahoma Cities, the Golden States, the San Antonios, and Houston's in this West Coast trip. But they're playing all teams that are all in the playoff hunt, but are beatable. So if they can win these next two at home, I think they go on this West Coast trip with knowing that if they go drop seven, the season's over. If they find a way to go 500 or maybe get three of those four, they're still in the hunt, right? Like this is, this is it, Richie. Like we're at the crossroads. Yeah. Um, and it starts with these first two games at home. Now on the flip side of that, if they don't get these two games at home, if they get one of two, I, I think it's going to go bad out West. If they lose both of them, I think the conversation approaching the trade deadline, all of a sudden changes to either hold or talk about Kaminsky, Batum, MK. Talk about sending one of those guys away and hitting a mini reset. You know, I, right. I, I don't know, but these <laughs> the next 72 hours are going to change a lot of the internal conversation with the Charlotte Hornets. Richie, the last question I want to present to you is looking at the remaining schedule this year, I want you to give me record-wise the ceiling for the Hornets and then record-wise again – the floor for the Charlotte Hornets, in your opinion? 
golly, this is putting me on the spot here. I would say a ceiling of 40, 41 wins. Is that pessimistic? Uh, and then a floor. No, I don't. Okay. And then a floor, I don't know, maybe 34 wins. I'm not sure. I, I'm bad at this. I'm bad at predicting predicting things because, you know, the season can take so many different turns. Uh, it could, Like you said, it could take, you know, losing these two home games and it, it our, our direction dramatically shifts from building for the future versus building for right now and winning. So these upcoming games will kind of dictate kind of how, where we go from here. Correct. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's being pessimistic. I think that those are actually pretty reasonable guesses. Um, so I will start with the C, uh, you know, no, 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 I'm going to start with the floor here. Uh, I, you know, I think the floor for the Hornets is, is the, I think it's 36, 37 wins, you know, somewhere right there. And, and the reason I say that is because, but Kimball Walker is an all-star this year. He's a, he's an NBA Eastern Conference all-star. That hasn't happened since Gerald Wallace, okay, that, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, he will return to form. He's an all-star. You know, he's had a few bad games. I wanted to save this opinion till the end, but he's going to get it back. He's going to recapture his all-star form, and he's going to put the Hornets on his back and carry him to somewhere around 36, 37 wins at the worst. Staying on that same topic – Kim is going to return to form. Zeller can maybe get healthy. Uh, you know, we can rediscover our form a little bit. I, I think the Hornets can get to 44, 45 wins. Um, and I think that they can potentially make a late surge and, and get to the seven seed in the Eastern Conference. You know, maybe even if the stars align perfectly from here on out, they can climb as high as a six seed. But, um, you know, th- there have been too many good signs this year for me to just have the doomsday outlook, if that makes sense. I mean, if all else fails this year, we can't forget that Kimball Walker is an NBA all-star, and Charlotte hasn't seen that since Gerald Wallace in, in, what, 2010, I think. So, you know, that's a step forward for a franchise that is is perpetually without a quote-unquote superstar. You know, not that Kimball's a superstar, but he is a star, and we've at least made that step. Um, does that make a Hornets, you know, more of a free agent destination moving forward because there's a Kimball Walker here that – you know, the guys are going to watch him on TNT All-Star Weekend next, you know, next week. And, Richie, I don't know your opinion on this. Maybe we'll get to do a show before All-Star Weekend. But Kemp is – the way he plays, you know, the, the flashiness, he's certainly capable of scoring 40 in an All-Star game and, and winning the MVP. I don't think that's crazy to, to think about. No. Um, so, you know, so, I mean, if he gets – you know, he'll come off the bench in that game. But if he gets enough minutes – so, you know, I, I just – I'm not ready to – to hit the panic button with, with Charlotte in terms of, you know, we're going to end the season with 30 to 32 wins. I'm, I'm just not ready to go there. I do think the team sneaks into the playoffs, and I think it all happens on the back of Kimball Walker because he has been that good, and he deserves uh, he deserves that uh, from the fans, I think. And right. It's been bad, I understand, but he deserves the respect and he deserves the confidence from the fans that they're going to get this turned around. And, you know, so I would beg of that uh, from Hornets fans right now uh, to just stick in there and, I can't say trust the process because we can't, <laughs> can't steal that term. But uh, but trust Kimba. You know, trust trust what he's done. Trust the player he is. Trust the leader that he is. Uh, and let's see if the Hornets can get this thing turned around. All right, Richie, wh- how are you spending your Saturday? Oh, you're going to the game. I'm going to the game. So, yeah, in about uh, two or three hours, I'm going to head over to my friend's place. And he has season tickets, so he invited me. That's why I've, always, I've gone to these games, these giveaway games. He's always invited me to the giveaway game. So I'll be going to another one where they're going to pass out Kimba's a little action figure. Awesome. 
Kimba action figure night. It, it, things have to go well, right? Exactly. Against Rivers, it's going to work. Yeah, it's going to work. Um, all right, man. Well, look, go enjoy your day. I am actually, I think I'm going to try to get the sticks out. It's beautiful out. Uh, this weather, by the way, is just the, <laughs> is the wonkiest stuff ever. It's early in the week here in Virginia. It was 70 degrees for two straight days. There were three straight days, maybe. And then it drops to below freezing for like two days. And, and, and like 40 was the high, you know, by five o'clock in the afternoon. And then today it's back up to 70. This is, this is frustrating. Like, can we pick a season, please? <laughs> We're getting spoiled here. You know what I mean? It's just, it's weird. But so I'm going to try to get the sticks out and hit the little white golf ball around today. But uh, yeah, go enjoy your Saturday. Uh, Richie, tell our listeners where they can find us again and where they can find you on Twitter. Once again, guys, you guys are able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. Just download the Stitcher app or search BuzzBeat in iTunes to download all of our podcasts to date. Once again, this is going to be our 12th episode. Uh, and also, please rate and review us as well on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, and then if you do follow us on Twitter, uh, whether that be myself, at Richie Randall, or Spencer, at QCH Spencer, or the podcast Twitter handle, at BuzzBeat Podcast, whenever we put out a, a podcast post, uh, we would appreciate that you retweet it. As our feller almighty baller podcaster Daniel Green says, refrain from liking it and retweet it, please, so we can get it out to more people. Uh, again, thanks for the support, and we will see you guys soon. Awesome. Uh, so we are uh, part of queencityhoops.com, so please go check out all the good stuff uh, over there at the website. And We're also a part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so be sure you're checking out all the cool uh, other NBA podcasts and they've got, folks, they got everything. They got all the different team podcasts. They got DFS podcasts. They've got, I mean, it's all there. So make sure you're checking out almightyballer.com. Again, we're taking over the, the NBA podcasting uh, universe. So if you're not on board now, you're going to regret it later. So go check that out. All right, so we'll see you guys next week. Go Hornets. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.